0: Michigan sinks the boat, walloping Minnesota 49 to 24. We'll break down a sensational opener for the Wolverines. And from one trophy game to another, Paul Bunyan on the line this week. We'll preview things from a Sparty perspective with Graham Couch from the Lansing State Journal, get you some weekly picks and a whole lot more. It's all coming up on this week's edition of Hail to the Pod. Welcome to this week's edition of Hail to the Pod. I'm your host, Kevin Rich. As always, you can email the show at pod at gmail.com. Tweet me at krich23 and download and subscribe the podcast everywhere your favorite podcasts are found, including Apple iTunes, Google Play and Spotify. If you like the show, please leave a five star review and be sure to subscribe as well. That way, every time there is a new episode, it will get downloaded directly to your favorite podcast platform. Well, It finally happened. The Big Ten returned this past weekend in a big way. It all started on Friday night. Wisconsin's Graham Mertz became the first freshman to start a season opener at quarterback since 1978. He put on a show. He sets a school record for single game completion percentage at 95.2%. Of course, sad news for Wisconsin this week with the COVID situation, which we'll talk about a bit later. The State University of New Jersey. Oh, my. They win their Big Ten opener for the first time ever and claim a Big Ten road victory for the first time since 2017. Rutgers with a big win over Sparty. Purdue without their head coach, out with COVID, an impressive win over Iowa. Northwestern head coach Pat Fitzgerald, he gets his 100th career win on Saturday, beats down Mr. Red Loafers and the Fighting Mike Loxleys, 43-3. Nebraska They get what they deserve after saying they wanted to leave the Big Ten. Uh, Got that nice treat of having to go to Columbus, and they got destroyed 52-17. And how about Indiana? A game for the ages. Michael Penix Jr. extends himself like Stretch Armstrong on a diving two-point conversion to give Indiana a win over Penn State. Of course, a little controversial whether he was in or he wasn't, but Penn State should have never put Indiana in that situation. And Indiana, one of their biggest victories ever. I mean, you had a sense that they would just knock off a perennial Big Ten stalwart at some point. Glad it wasn't Michigan. Why not Penn State? It really, it was a great opening weekend for Big Ten, but, oh, that's right, I'm missing a game. Michigan, a statement victory against the Gophers on Saturday night in primetime nonetheless on ABC. Michigan with a 49-24 victory for the maize and blue and the little brown jug stays in Ann Arbor. I got to tell you, last Saturday was so much fun. It wasn't just because Michigan won and did so in an impressive fashion and didn't really make uh, the Michigan fans sweat that game out much other than the way the game started, but These last few Saturdays have just felt empty. Yeah, there were ACC games and SEC games, but it just wasn't the same without the Big Ten. And Saturday with the conference we know and we love so much back in action, that void was filled. Of course, we can only hope that it will continue to be filled uh, as we've seen the Big Ten have no margin of error here with the COVID situation impacting our country. And uh, yeah, I was going to hit on the COVID situation later on the show, but I guess I'll get it over with uh, here and now. You just have to feel terrible for Wisconsin. I mean, what a brutal situation for them. Of course, if you haven't heard the news, uh, we know Wisconsin, this was a team that had some big expectations this year. And other than Michigan and Ohio State, which really looked the part this past weekend, Wisconsin now with six players Testing positive for COVID, including their starting quarterback and backup quarterback, and six coaches testing positive, including Paul Christ. Of course, he said uh, he's been symptom free, but still testing positive. And unfortunately, Wisconsin, you know, they had to make that unenviable decision to pause all team related activities for at least the next seven days. And that means they got to cancel their game this Saturday against Nebraska, of course, of all teams who aren't very happy about that. But it's just a brutal situation all around. And if You know, they're able to resume activities next week. The Big Ten protocol for COVID, really, really, really tough here. Any player that tests positive has to sit out for 21 days. That means those six players won't be able to play against Purdue next week, if that game even happens. Or on November 14th in Ann Arbor against Michigan, Wisconsin would have to start their fourth string quarterback. And of course, they're going to want to play that game against Michigan if they can't play against Purdue next week. We know they're not going to play against Nebraska this weekend. If they make the decision not to play against Purdue next week, Big Ten teams with these rigid protocols with COVID, they have to play at least six games in order to be eligible for the Big Ten championship game. And of course, Wisconsin was a team that a lot of folks thought may be the best shot in the West and the best shot to maybe beat Ohio State. Of course, preseason expectations to get to the playoff. Uh, And this is just a terrible situation. I mean, we talked last week on the show about being cautiously optimistic about this football season, and it's just, it's so upsetting because we know the conference, trying to shoehorn a full conference schedule into a nine-week window, eight regular season games in a row, followed by the championship and divisional games in week nine, with no week off for a situation like this, we knew this was going to be really, really tough to pull off. And man, this conference didn't even get to week two without this already becoming a huge developing situation. And there are just some things bigger than football. And I feel for those Wisconsin players and coaches, you just, you pray they're all okay. Hope they can get through uh, all this and play next week. But this conference was already playing from behind and playing a full regular season is really, really looking dicey. Uh, So I guess we can only hope that the positive tests and interruptions don't continue uh, at this level moving forward and impact other teams. But on to the good news, <laughs> we're going to shift on to the good news. Michigan, wow, did they look great on Saturday night. I mean, as Borat would say, wah-wah-wee-wah. Wah, wah. <laughs> I mean, Michigan was so impressive in the game on Saturday, and how good were they? 35 points in the first half is the most in a first half versus a ranked opponent in the AP pull era and the most by the Wolverines since they scored 38 in 2003 against Minnesota. Of course, Minnesota wasn't ranked in that game. When you talked about ranked games on the road, it's the first time Michigan scored 40 or more points on the road versus a ranked team since they did so in 2006 against Notre Dame. That was the 47-21 win against the second-ranked Irish. Of course, Michigan would later be the number two team in the country uh, before falling uh, in Columbus later that year. Of course, 49 points is the most Michigan has scored against a ranked opponent in the Jim Harbaugh era. And oh, by the way, it was Michigan's 17th straight road win at Minnesota. They haven't lost there since 1977. So it was a pretty, pretty, pretty good uh, Saturday for the Mays and Blue. But what made it most impressive was the fact that Minnesota wasn't really a pushover. I mean, this was a team that won 11 games last year. And we know certainly they had some issues with the special teams on Saturday with their uh, starting kicker out, their uh, kick specialist out, as well as the punter. And they were missing a couple players on the offensive line and a big linebacker in this game. So no doubt about it, there were some big things for Minnesota to overcome. But they have arguably one of the best wide receivers in the country who will no doubt be playing on Sundays next fall. They have a quarterback that will likely be drafted fairly high also. They returned one of the best offenses from last season, and this is one of the better teams it looks like on paper. Michigan will be playing on their schedule this year, and Michigan put up 49 points on them and won the game by 25 points. On the road, nonetheless, and we know it's been well-documented, as everyone likes to rub uh, in everybody's faces, that Michigan has struggled on the road against ranked teams. And if you listen to the podcast, we did a little analysis uh, last year after Michigan uh, lost on the road to Penn State about how difficult it is for teams to win on the road against ranked teams. Other than Nick Saban, no other coach that's active right now has done better in the same amount of time that Jim Harbaugh has coached at Michigan than Nick Saban. And what I mean by that is actually having a winning record, not even Dabo Sweeney down at Clemson, uh, has that so? It's been very well documented um, that it's not easy to win on the road against ranked teams, and of course, it's been documented uh, those folks that are anti-Harbaugh or anti-Michigan, or you know, even people that are fans of Michigan in the fan base have said, "Wow, Michigan just can't go on the road and win these big games against ranked teams," and even more so, Michigan has struggled in season openers on the road. Harbaugh's first game at Utah, Jake Rudock' his first game, turnovers galore, Michigan loses. At Notre Dame a few seasons ago, Shea Patterson, turnovers galore, Michigan loses. This year, Minnesota, on the road, top 25 team, 11-win team from last year, debut of Joe Milton, 225 yards and a touchdown in the air. He probably should have had a couple more, which we'll talk about. 52 on the ground and a touchdown as well. No turnovers. How impressive was that? I mean, this is one of Michigan's most impressive offensive performances in a long time. They averaged more than eight yards per play. They technically didn't even punt in the game because the first one that got blocked doesn't even go down in the stats as an actual punt. Michigan played fast. They played physical and damn, they played like they had a chip on their shoulder. That was what was so impressive in that game on Saturday. Now, granted, they didn't get in any positions, like there weren't a lot of big third downs that they had to make big plays, but to not punt the entire game after the blocked punt at the beginning of the game, which I was joking, doesn't even count uh, as a punt at the end of the day. For Michigan to put up 49 points the way they did and do so with an offense that really had no spring practice, no training camp, for Joe Milton to come in and run that offense as effectively as he did on the road against a team that won 11 games last year is really really impressive. And even more impressive was the offensive line. I mean, you graduate four guys all on active NFL rosters right now. We talked about this in the preview show last week. It wasn't like the guys on the offensive line didn't have game experience. Sure, they weren't having starting experience, but they did have plenty of in-game action. But to go out there in their first game on Saturday and look as well as they did, really impressive. This is an offensive line that gave up one sack. They opened up holes for the running backs to collectively run for 264 yards and average over 8.8 yards per carry. And I know that Minnesota isn't the hardest defense that Michigan will face this year, but that's a tremendous performance by a newly installed unit that is gelling quickly or at least look like they were gelling quickly in that game on Saturday. And love the performance by the running backs, the explosive plays. I mean, that's what's been missing uh, for Michigan these last few years. We've been waiting to see that from a Josh Gaddis system, the whole speed in space. Zach Charbonnet with the 70-yard touchdown run. Haskins breaking that 66-yarder and scoring two touchdowns in the game. Blake Corum getting out in space on that first play. Heck, Ronnie Bell and Eric all they should have given Milton three touchdown passes on the day if all would have caught that one touchdown and. Bell didn't get tripped up by the turf monster. So really offensively, Michigan, just an incredible performance there. And defensively, I thought the unit overall played pretty well. You know, I'm not going to get upset. You know, I was talking to some people this week. Yeah, but the defense gave up 24 points and can't be happy about that. I'm not really going to get that upset about that because they won the game by 25 points. Michigan won 49 to 24. And you can't fault the defense for the first seven points they gave up after that blocked punt. You know, you give Minnesota the ball in the red zone. And I think holding Tanner Morgan to under 200 yards and keeping Rashad Bateman out of the end zone was really impressive. And yeah, you can get nitpicky and say they gave up a lot on the ground. You know, Mo Ibrahim, which is a really good running back. He's a top running back in the Big Ten. You know, he puts up 140 yards and scores two touchdowns in the game. But against a team that scored 30 plus points a game last year with a dynamic quarterback and wide receiver duo... I think you'd much rather be more bend but not break against the run game than get slashed through the air, which they totally could have gotten slashed if they played that defense any differently. And we were nervous about the secondary, and I think they still have some things to answer and some things to prove, but I thought Jamon Green played really well being thrown into that starting role that Ambry Thomas vacated by opting out. He defended Bateman extremely well on those two end zone fades that led to turnovers on downs. And Michigan played the majority of the second half without Daxton Hill on the field either. And we know what he means uh, to that defensive secondary. The D-line looks solid. McGrone and Ross out there on the same field together. Fantastic. And boy, did Michael Barrett have himself a game. So I actually, very optimistic about the defense. I thought they played this game pretty well against a team that on average put up 350 yards, 400 plus yards in most games in the Big Ten last year and put up 30 plus points in a game. Michigan held them under those averages for an offense that returned some big playmakers. What did Michigan not do well though? Put the damn football through the up rates. (laughs) I mean, the kicking game, uh, not what we've come to expect, uh, particularly from Jake Moody. Three misses, although I can't necessarily fault him for the third one, as that was a bad snap that Hart was barely able to straighten out for him in time. But you got to make those other two from 33 and from 43 yards. You know, Harbaugh said after the game that Nordine was working through something this week. So I guess we'll see. If he dresses for Sparty this weekend, if he'll be in line for those duties, or if Michigan sticks with Moody. But all things considered, if the only thing we really can nitpick here about this game was the field goal kicking in a game that Michigan won comfortably by 25 points on Saturday, on the road, in prime time, in the national spotlight, I think we can certainly live with it. So all in all, an opener for Michigan that really couldn't have gone much better than it did, and certainly some optimism that maybe just maybe Harbaugh has that quarterback that he's been looking for here at Michigan with an offensive system that could potentially be pretty special. Of course, my friends, it is indeed just one game into the crazy year of 2020. And if we know one thing about this year so far, anything can happen. (laughs) In-State Rivalry Week is here already in this crazy Big Ten football season. Michigan and Michigan State set to battle at the Big House this Saturday at noon. Paul Bunyan, he's on the line and helped to break down the game from the Michigan State side of things as Graham Couch. Graham does some great work covering Sparty for the Lansing State Journal. You can read his columns at lsj.com. Check out his Spartan Speak podcast on all the major podcast platforms. And you can also find him on Twitter, too, at Graham underscore Couch. Graham, thanks for taking some time here. How are you? I'm good. How you doing? You know, hanging in. Uh, we were joking before we recorded. It's, uh, it's 2020, but uh, the good news is uh, we got the big rivalry game this weekend and Big Ten football's back. It, at least for now, we'll talk about the COVID situation here in a little bit. But not really an ideal start for Michigan State in the opener last week. You know, they fell to Rutgers 38-27. But did you get that sense that Michigan State gave the game away more so than, say, Rutgers truly beating them?
1: I mean, yes and no. Um, I mean, obviously, seven turnovers is, is not kind of helpful any, any week.
0: Um,
1: but I, I also don't think that they were physically superior to Rutgers. I mean, they outgained them a little bit. But, um, you know, I mean, Rutgers has improved. But uh, Michigan State's got some issues. And uh, up front, notably, uh, on offense, uh, that line has not gotten better. They look like a, a program that's trying to find itself. And, and um, you know, it, 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 it's a tough transition. And uh, But I also think that um you know there were some playmakers there were some things they can they could build on it. you know offensively uh you know the receivers look like they can give people some problems but they just don't have enough guys really like you talk about like just dudes who give people real problems uh i think to to really give michigan a, a scare
0: yeah, I know a lot of people were on Mel Tucker after the performance last week, but you you, you got to cut the guy some slack. I mean, it's his first game. Uh, I don't care if Sabin walked onto the football field. Uh, you're not going to win many games if you cough the ball up seven times.
1: No, although you could argue that's a team that's unprepared. But I I don't think this was a season that. I mean, if you talk to them privately when when the season was canceled, I don't think anybody in that coaching staff was was devastated by it. <laughs> they were. They thought you know. in fact, you know, if you look at the differences between Michigan and Michigan State when the season was canceled. Michigan kept practicing. They wanted this season. I think Harbaugh knew he had a seasoned club. I think Josh Gaddis had done an excellent job preparing, and they, you know, they, they were they they thought they had a quarterback. They had a lot of things going for them. They looked like where you want your program to be, where when you have turnover, there are guys just ready. And and Michigan State, I think you know, he sent them back to the weight room and said, you know, this they could use a you know a time and the strength and conditioning program and all the things that you don't get in a. Weird pandemic year when you start in late February and don't get a true off-season or a spring practice, and so I, I think they're just they're just in different places as programs, and um, you know I, I think that that was on full display in, in, in both games last week.
0: Yeah, I think so, too. I mean, Michigan certainly overperformed, I think, in in some of the expectations going in and Michigan State on the other side. But, you know, you mentioned there were some pauses in the game. I thought Reed and Naylor uh, were some bright spots in the passing game. Obviously, Lombardi threw for over 300 300 yards, excuse me. I, and I thought the defense, I mean, look, you know, they weren't put in a great position because of short fields after the turnovers, but after the opening drive, you know, they held Rutgers to just uh, around 201 yards or so um, that four five defense. I mean, is there some optimism there that, that this defense, uh, they can put some things together?
1: We'll see. I mean, I, I think uh, eventually uh, you've got a lot of really good defensive minds on that staff. Um, I mean, it, it's, it, it's, it's not going to be for lack of acumen put it that way. I mean, you've got two guys, Uh, in the the secondary who were the defensive coordinators together on the team that you know went to the college football playoff and won a Big Ten Ten title in 2015 you've got a head coach who's cut his teeth as a defensive coordinator on some some great teams and you've got a new defensive coordinator who that people are really high on so I I think there's a lot of brain power over there uh the, the problem is you know do you have the horses and uh, they got a really nice linebacker and Antoine Simmons. I think uh, Naquan Jones is. is they got some strength up the middle. I, I don't know that they have an edge guy that can, can cause trouble without you know a manufactured pass rush. And the secondary is is a little bit of a question. They've got some young guys. And I think there's some promising guys there, but there's no there's nobody that you really have to game plan around like they had with Josiah Scott for for several years and, and before that a lot of the different guys they've had back there. So. I, I do think the defense, you know, they're learning a new defense. It is, and I think that there's, they've got to sort of um, figure out how much, you know, you don't want to just revert back because guys are comfortable with something and It helps you win games in a year that really probably isn't about that for them. You know, you don't want to go winless. Um, but, you know, you want to establish what you want to be as a program. And uh, and I actually think the 4 what they are, you know, in terms of developing defensive backs and, and what they have at linebacker right now probably fits them. There's just some different philosophical things and different technique things that I think are going to take some time. Uh, and I've covered defenses that have gone through transitions, and it's not, it's not always easy.
0: Yeah, no doubt. And you know, four two five. You think you've seen where the Big Ten has gone with uh, a lot of RPO and and spread. Um, I think you know, four two five. If you have some versatile linebackers in the middle, not necessarily a bad thing to to have five guys in the backfield and be able to stunt and blitz and and do some some interesting things there. Uh, you know, Graham. On on the flip side, uh, what surprised me. You know, in, in terms of watching the, the game, um, the Michigan State Rutgers game last week is uh, the running game. I mean, that's been such a bright spot for Michigan State in the last decade. I know the last year or two has been a struggle, but uh, there were a lot of injuries on the line and obviously some injuries at the running back position, but it really seemed to struggle on Saturday. And we know the team, you know, historically in this Michigan-Michigan State game that uh, puts more rushing yards on the board has won, gosh, like 45 of the last 50 uh, games in the stretch. Were you... Disappointed in the running game on Saturday? Did you expect to see a bit more?
1: Well, I wasn't sure what I'd see because, you know, this is one of those see it to believe it things with the offensive line because really since 2015, they have not gotten a push uh, against good teams, um, you know, and and been all that since that drive really against Iowa in the Big Ten Championship game, they have not been able to impose their will on people. You know, they had one year in 2017 where they were pretty good in protection, um, but they have not gotten a push. And this line looks. I don't want to say it's regressed because there's been a lot of, you know, not great line play and Rutgers did do some things. I think that confused guys. I mean, this is a group that's figuring out how to play together. Uh, they had one guy who would have started that opt out of the season. Um, you know, there's some, young, I mean, I, I, think it was Greg Schiano is not an idiot, you know, and he, he, he's, they, he's got a few guys up there. They've got some transfers that, and, and he put together a scheme that gave them trouble and their running backs did not pick up blitz as well at all. Um, and that led to one turnover and one that, that uh, could have been. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think, you know, the running backs, as soon as they start uh, Connor Hayward, you, you know they're not going to be prolific there. Because Hayward, we, we've seen a lot of him. You know, he's a, right. a nice guy. He's a serviceable player. He, he can do some things versatility in the, versatility in the passing game. But he's not going to give you something that's not there. He's not going to take a small crease and, and that's what Elijah Collins kind of showed the last year, that he could do a little of that. And so Collins is the guy that, I think, surprised everybody. He doesn't look real good right now. And, and Jordan Simmons, the freshman, was the best back they had. Um, cause against you know, They're going to need guys who can get something out of very little, uh, because I don't think the line is going to give them a whole lot against good teams in the Big Ten.
0: We're talking to Graham Couch, covers uh, Sparty for the Lansing State Journal. Read his columns at lsj.com, Spartan Speak podcasts on all the major podcast platforms, and on Twitter as well at graham underscore couch. And, you know, Graham, uh, we've been monitoring both, you know, injury situations and, and obviously the COVID situation uh, in the Big Ten. Uh, anything significant um, for Michigan State coming into this game on Saturday? You know, not, not
1: that I know of other than, you know, we'll see what where Trey Mosley is. They're, they're, they're. You know they got three receivers they really liked, and he got banged up in the first game, um, and that that hurts them um, because I think there's a chance for that as a trio to be really um, certainly the best trio they've had since 2015 or 14 right in that window, and, and give everybody trouble. And they need that group to give people problems because they don't have a lot that can can do that. And I mean one of the one of the problems they're going to have is sustaining drives. But what they have that they haven't had is a couple guys who can give them separations and explosive plays, and get them on the board without having to drive 12 plays and finish in the red zone. And we saw that with, uh, you know, both guys had catches that they spun and or either made moves and got to the end zone. Uh, and then you also saw uh, Jaden Reed go up and get a ball in the end zone and traffic. I mean, those two guys, I think. It's the reason, like the point spread in this game, is is dangerous for Michigan. If if you were just talking about what we saw, and points, I would say, boy, twenty five points. I, I mean, I think Michigan may roll, but I, I think both those guys can they can put up points in ways they couldn't before. So you could have a game that's you know thirty eight fourteen that's firmly in control, and there's a late touchdown, you know, or whatever it is, and, right. and that sort of thing because of who those guys are and, and what they can do at any given moment.
0: How important is this game? Um, and maybe this is a foreshadow. I want to push people to read your, your column. But how how important is this game for, for Mel Tucker in terms of setting up this rivalry down the road?
1: Yeah, I wrote a column about that this week because this is what D'Antonio did really well, right? I mean, he did the Michigan rivalry for a lot of years about as well as you can do it if you're running Michigan State's program. And that began with a loss. It began with responding to, you know, Michael Hart's chuckle and little brother comments. And exactly how Michigan State fans would have been feeling in that moment. Exactly what they needed to hear. The idea that, you know, pride comes before the fall. It'll, it'll never be over. Now pride comes before the fall. You could argue was foreshadowing his own program a little bit. But, um, you know, and then from there it was, uh, you know, things are changing. And then it was this game defines you. It was every year it was something. He understood what to say and when to say it and when to let the play do the talking. And they took advantage of a Michigan program that was 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 a little down at the time too, and as his program rose, and they, you know, so you win eight out of ten years and all that stuff. I, Tucker's not going to win eight out of ten years because I don't think Michigan is going to fall like that. But what he needs to do is read the room, say what needs to be said, or say nothing if nothing needs to be said. Be competitive, you know, not have his team wither, have you know, not be embarrassed early, and then get to a point in a couple of years where. You know, they, they can win uh, that game, you know, close to half the time. And so it's not, uh, because Michigan State fans are insecure. And Mark D'Antonio essentially left the program where he found it in a, in a, rough, in a rough spot. He should have left a couple years earlier, I think, if, um, they'd be in better shape. And so this what's interesting now is the Rutgers game, as bad as it was, I think actually helps Michigan State now. Because strangely, and this is just, psychologically with a fan base i'm talking about you don't want to lose the Rutgers, but say Rutgers have been as miserable as they've been a lot of years and michigan state everything it is right now didn't turn the ball over as much and won that game by a couple touchdowns comfortably there would be the the vegas spread would be half there would be michigan state fans who were hoping they could go in and and win and whatever happened because i don't think they have a shot to win this game would just would be crushing and would be dispiriting, and people would be angry at Tucker. Then, instead, the expectations are abysmally low, and if they just go in and they're not blown off the ball, they're not run out of the run out of the stadium, they don't wither, you know, at any point, and they just put up a fight as best they can, and they, they lose by three scores. People aren't going to leave there dispirited, and so then that weirdly strange sense, just from a psychological standpoint, because the Michigan game lingers a lot longer, in the the mindset of an MSU fan. And that's who they—they they don't got to deal with Rutgers fans at work, right? Nobody goes to work and goes, "Ah, oh, crap, Joe, Joe, who loves Rutgers is here." You know, like so. Uh, you know, I, I think that you know, in a weird way, um, for who they are as a team and what realistically might happen Saturday, the Rutgers game uh, will allow them to leave this game if they if they play to their capabilities, if they don't turn the ball over a lot, if they score some points and look competitive. Uh, will help them psychologically get out of that one feeling better.
0: Graham, I actually do have a guy in my office that went to Rutgers. Uh, that was a major shocker when we discovered, uh, this week <laughs> that he went to Rutgers because he finally had something to, uh, to cheer about, uh, with the uh, Michigan State, uh, alums, uh, in the room. He's probably been quiet for a long, long time. <laughs> he <Why>? has. <laughs> None of us thought he actually watched sports, and then we just come to find out he was actually a Rutgers uh, graduate and uh, <laughs> didn't have much to cheer for. But yeah, I, I think your analysis on on Mel Tucker and handling the game is spot on. I encourage the listeners to uh, go check out your column at lsj.com. And you know, people forget you know Mel Tucker coached at Ohio State. He understands you know what it means these big rivalry games, uh, especially against when he was at Ohio, the school up north, and now at Michigan State. He uh, to him as a school down the road, so I think he fully understands, um, you know, how important this game is. I know it's hard to make, you know, predictions uh, for Saturday, but you know, how do you how do you expect the game to play out? What do you what do you think we're going to see?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the spread is about right. The, the real question is, you know, in, in, look, these games are going to be different all year, and I think it's going to be harder on the home team in some ways without fans because. Uh, you know, momentum has to be much more pure. You don't get the crowd. You don't get a steamrolling thing. You you have to really dominate the team to continue momentum, and, and and so I think that helps MSU a little bit in this. I mean, it, it's a little jarring when you run out in your own field, <laughs> you know, just 400 people or family and friends, and you that's just not what how this game usually works. Um, so I think that helps MSU. I I do think um, that you know they've got the ability to score. Here and there, I don't know about sustained drives. I just don't think they can stop Michigan, and I don't think they, um, you, know, I, I, you know, I see something. And I think the spread is about where it should be, and I see something in like the, you know, forty-two to seventeen uh, range. And um, you know, it, it, I do think Jim Harbaugh will try. I mean, if, if we'll try to, you know, put the foot on their throat if he can do it. This is setting the stage with a new coach and a new situation at MSU. I think he's got a team that that had a chance to be um, do some special things and, um, you know, taking control of a rivalry. I mean, he has struggled in rivalries, right? So uh, he has finally kind of gotten control of the MSU one, and I, and I don't think, especially when you don't have control of the other one, I don't think you let up at any point. So I don't think it goes well for MSU. I just don't think, like, if you look at uh, great upsets in, in, like, college football, and usually even in MSU history, they've always had a few guys that just could could do it no matter who they were playing. You look at, like, the the win over Ohio State in 98. You know, when Ohio State's number one, they're four touchdown underdogs. But that MSU team had Plaxico Burr, Cedric Irvin, Julian Peterson. I mean, you know, Robert Smith, they had a lot of NFL guys and big-time talent. It wouldn't matter who they were playing. They were going to get theirs. I don't see those guys on this Michigan State team other than maybe a receiver, and that's the problem.
0: Yeah, no doubt, Graham. You know, uh, one last thing I wanted to leave you with here. You know, we talk about we kind of have to cherish these games as we have them. Uh, we just saw what happened at Wisconsin. Um, you know, they have to shut down activities. I don't know what they would have uh, encountered at Nebraska this weekend having to play with a four-string quarterback. So uh, obviously with six players, uh, you know, getting COVID and coaching staff, you know, Paul Christ, just terrible situation there. And, you know, we knew going into the season, you know, the Big Ten had no uh, margin for error here. So just kind of want to get your thoughts on on that situation in the Big Ten, and you know, do, do you expect the Michigan State to, and and most of these teams to play the whole length of the season, or you know, kind of what what are your thoughts in terms of how this is going to play out with the Big Ten? I,
1: I don't think it'll be the last of these situations because it's just such a you know, communicable disease. I mean, it just you know, like it, I mean, it, it, I think people are being, I think these players and coaches are being pretty careful right now, and you see what happens yeah. um, now. Wisconsin's got issues right now with COVID for sure. In terms of writing cases and so that hits a program and we do here in this state right i mean the university of michigan and washington county those students are on lockdown other than the football program and so uh you know i wouldn't be surprised by anything i'm hoping everybody gets through it I, there's just so much first of all you, you want it for for the for the kids you want it for the fans who enjoy it. you want it for the employees at these uh schools that really need the television revenue to make the budget in these athletic departments um uh, and every time these games are lost, you worry about that collectively. And so you hope, I, I, you know, I don't think this will be the last one, though. It just doesn't seem like there's any way. In Wisconsin, you know, you get that amazing performance, a new quarterback, everybody, you know, and then you get this. And um, I, I, am, I, I would be stunned if this is the last game of the Big Ten that doesn't happen.
0: Yeah, that's the guy in your office. If you've got a Wisconsin grad in your office, that's the guy, you know, socially distance, have a mask on, but that's the guy you got to give a little air hug from far away because uh, they were just expecting huge things from that team. And what a performance quarterback puts on the best performance the Wisconsin quarterbacks had uh, in forever. Uh, and now uh, they're on the sidelines due to the COVID situation. So I hear you on that. Graham, he's Graham couch does great work covering Sparty for the Lansing state journal. Again, you can read his columns at LSJ.com. Check out his Spartan speak podcast on all the major podcast platforms. And you can also find him on Twitter too, at Graham underscore couch, Graham, Thanks so much for the time today and enjoy the game on Saturday.
1: Enjoyed it. Appreciate you having me.
0: Great stuff there from Graham couch, new feature on the podcast. We're going to be tying it into the pick segment here. Of course, every week I pick four games against the number, including my lock of the week, good week last week, which we'll talk about in a second. And don't worry. The pick segment isn't going away, but in my pick segment, I don't always give out a Big Ten game and I've been getting emails about picking more Big Ten games. So moving forward, I'm going to go rapid fire and give you my straight up picks and quick observations for each game in the Big Ten. That way, if it isn't one of my against the spread picks, I got you covered on that. So let's hit it. Friday night, Minnesota at Maryland. Oh boy. PJ Fleck and the Gophers are going to row that boat so hard into Maryland, they're going to win the game larger than the length of Lake Minnetonka. They're going to score faster than you can say Skiuma three times in a row. Gophers, big. Saturday at noon, Purdue at Illinois. The only other Big Ten game going on at the same time is Michigan, Michigan State. I think the easiest prediction here is that barely anyone in the state of Michigan will even watch this game. So hey. Why not bet on it? My official pick in the pick segment. The 330 Big Ten slate, Northwestern at Iowa. Pat Fitzgerald, 8-6 versus Iowa. They have won three of their last four against the Hawkeyes. Give me Fitz and the Tantrums. Indiana at Rutgers. Yes, this is the 330 game to watch after the Michigan game over on the Big Ten Network. Boy, does this game scream letdown after Indiana beat Penn State on Saturday. And wouldn't this just be... The Indiana of all Indiana things to do to lose to Rutgers on Saturday? It sure would. But come on now. I can't pick Rutgers. I just can't do it. I give the tip, I mean the nod, to Michael Penix Jr. and the Hoosiers. Big Ten gets the spotlight in primetime on ABC again on Saturday night. Ohio State heads to Penn State for the invisible whiteout. Happy Valley will be a happy place for the Buckeyes without fans in that stadium. Ohio State wins big. And the good news for James Franklin, he can make as many brain-numbing, poor coaching decisions in the game as possible. It won't impact the final score. I think Ohio State wins that one big. On to the picks for the week. Last week's picks were a profitable 3 and 1 including my lock of the week with Alabama winning big and covering. I did. I felt really dirty picking the Evil Empire of Alabama in that game, but you know what? It was profitable. They won. Lock of the week undefeated on the year. We'll take it. Close to 4 and 0. But Florida weather just had to be Florida weather in that sloppy Miami game. Miami didn't get it done there uh, in terms of uh, beating the number against the spread. But we're going to try and be profitable again this week. Three and one last week. We'll try and do it again. Maybe get to four and oh. Going to start with Coastal Carolina. Yes, they are ranked. They are three-point favorites at Georgia State. The Chanticleers are undefeated on the season. I don't even know what a Chanticleer is, but I know that they've covered the number in six of their last eight games. They have covered the number in five of the last six versus Sunbelt's opponents as well. This is a great quarterback name matchup. Fred Payton versus Cornelius Brown the <laughs> fourth. Peyton will be throwing the ball to a guy named Sam Denmark. The only thing missing in this game is the annexation of Puerto Rico. Let's dial up the chance. They're going to go to 6-0 and cover the three points. I'm all in on Coastal Carolina. Purdue on the road at Illinois, a seven-point favorite. Really impressed by their performance being Iowa last Saturday, especially without Coach Braum on the sideline. The bottom line here, the best player on the field on Saturday is one that plays for the Boilermakers. That's David Bell. On the flip side, Illinois gave up over 430 yards to Wisconsin last week. The betting stat you need to know, Purdue is 8-1 against the number in their last nine games. Not enough offense for the Illini in this one. Purdue covers the seven points. On to Oklahoma State and Texas. Oklahoma State, three and a half point favorites, and Oklahoma State is legit. They survived a tough test against Iowa State last week. Spencer Sanders returns at quarterback. Oklahoma State's offense has been playing consistently well. Texas's offense, on the other hand, has sputtered and been sporadic. And guess what? The Cowboys are actually playing some defense. Did you know they're the sixth-ranked team in the country? They are eight and two against the spread in their last ten games. Texas is over against the spread this season. Oklahoma State—they are okay in my book. In fact, they are more than okay in my book. I'm going to take them to win by that three and a half points or more. And my lock of the week will go back to the SEC. Georgia, 15-point favorites at Kentucky. Kentucky has one of the worst offenses in the country. Georgia is excellent defensively. This defense should dominate on Saturday. They had a week off after losing to Alabama. They've won 10 straight games against Kentucky, and they have won the last three matchups by an average of 22.3 points per game. This has blowout written all over it. Georgia, 15-point favorites over Kentucky. I'm taking them to the bank. The Georgia Bulldogs are my lock of the week. Here we go. Red 29. That is, that is, that is, that is. is. And now to the game that matters most on Saturday. The Michigan Wolverines, ranked 13th in the country, take on the Michigan State Spartans in Ann Arbor, Paul Bunyan on the line in this one, a noon kickoff from the Big House. This game is the featured big noon Saturday game on Fox. Gus Johnson, Joel Klatt on the call, Jenny Taft on the sideline. You'll get Jim Brandstander and Dad Deerdorf. They'll have the call on the Learfield IMG College Michigan Football Radio Network. This will be the 113th meeting between Michigan and Sparty. Michigan holds a 71-36-5 and advantage in the all-time series. They've won 26 of the last 41 games, three of the last four, and that includes winning the last two in a row, a 44-10 win at the Big House last year. Now, you'd think sometimes some spooky things can happen on Halloween. Of course, this game will be played on Halloween. Not too much to freak out about here. Michigan is 14-4-1 in games played on Halloween. I think the easiest thing to predict about this game on Saturday is that Michigan State can't possibly play as bad as they did against Rutgers last week. I mean, you give up seven turnovers in a game, that's just insane. I would not expect them to make that many mistakes in the game on Saturday. Of course, I expect Michigan's defense to be blitzing and wreaking some havoc, and I think there will be some turnovers in the game, but I doubt Michigan State is going to turn the ball over that much in the game on Saturday. Um, And it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be a closer game uh, than what they played against Rutgers last week. But I think you can expect Michigan State to not give the ball away seven times again this week. And in addition to that, they had a lot of turnovers. They had the penalties. They had the missed assignments. Just a lot of stuff that happens in the first game that you'd expect them to have cleaned up this week. So I think Michigan State's going to come out and execute much better. What I did see out of Michigan State last week, though, even when you look past the turnovers and the penalties and all the other, you know, things in the game they did a terrible job at, was the massive lack of a run game. I mean, it was completely non-existent. And that's been a big problem for Sparty the last two seasons. And we know how important running the ball is in this game as a team that leads the rushing uh, totals in this game has won 45 out of the last 50 meetings. And most importantly, as you've come to know, Don Brown Michigan defenses tee off on teams that are one-dimensional. And while Rocky Lombardi looked decent in the game against Rutgers last week, throwing for 300-plus yards in the game, and he had some receivers do some good things in that game, if Sparty can't get anything going on the ground, Michigan's defense should be able to wreak havoc on this Spartan team. And the biggest Michigan advantage in this game on Saturday really comes down to the trenches in addition to Michigan looking like the team that should be able to wreak havoc on that Michigan State O-line and get to Lombardi. I mean, gosh, if Michigan State struggled so much uh, up front against Rutgers, imagine what Michigan can do uh, in this game. But it's also on the other side of the ball, the offensive line of Michigan that has a decided advantage over this new look four-two-five defense for Michigan State, which had a lot of bend-but-not break against Rutgers, but still gave up uh, some big plays. So, you know, Rutgers doesn't have much of an offense – Uh, And they put up 38 points against the Spartans last week. So it's hard to imagine that Michigan won't have similar success offensively in this game as well. So while I do expect Michigan State to play better than they did at Rutgers, I think it's also probably likely that Michigan won't be as efficient against Michigan State as they were against Minnesota. And, And probably for a couple reasons. One, it is a rivalry game. So, you know, anything can happen. And those games usually play a little bit closer. But also... Michigan was so efficient in the game against Minnesota last week that Michigan can punt the ball just once in this game, and that would be considered less efficient than they were last week. In the end, though, I think Michigan has a decided advantage in basically every position group in this game, so it's really hard to imagine that they won't play close to or beat that number Vegas put up on the board. Uh, I think Michigan wins this game. I think it might be a little close at the beginning and Michigan will pull away in the second half. I'm going to go with Michigan 41, Sparty 17. That's going to do it for this week's edition of Hell to the Pod. Thank you to Graham Couch for popping on earlier. And thank you, as always, for tuning in. Don't forget, you can email the show at helltothepod at gmail.com. You can tweet me at krich23. And, of course, download and subscribe to the podcast everywhere your favorite podcasts are found. Enjoy the game on Saturday. Stay safe. And, as always, go blue.